Hey everybody, we are listening to a track called Slow Burn by an artist named Lynx. Uh, it's a little different from the repertoire of jazz and instrumental music I usually like to showcase on this podcast, but it's produced by my guest today, Justin Matthews, uh, a fellow New School alum uh, who ended up going into the pop world and has been doing some really interesting creative stuff. Uh, kind of uh, changed my mind about some things. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had a really inter- interesting conversation. Uh, I'd like to share it with you. Um, it uh, centers around Spotify, and uh, uh, Justin wrote a really interesting post sort of challenging the narrative that musicians often have about how Spotify is trash and is uh, making life miserable for artists and musicians. Uh, so have a listen, decide for yourself. Thanks so much. are back. Welcome to Between the Gigs. I'm your host, Marty Eisenberg, and today my guest is Justin Matthews. Hi, Justin. Hey, hey. So uh, we uh, went to college together at the New School for Jazz back in... I graduated 2008. Is that when you graduated? Um, technically, I didn't graduate. Oh, good for you. <laughs> That's very cool. I'm in that elite club of uh, people who attended, uh, attended and didn't graduate when did you leave this or like how many years it, did you do it was supposed to be 08 i stretched it out to 09 and mm-hmm. then it just didn't come together yeah and then left yeah. yeah what were you what were you missing um i think a couple of ensemble classes. Little, it, it, yeah, def- of it definitely was something stupid and yeah. it just didn't come together i kind of ran out of uh, financial aid and, yeah uh got some good traveling experience and i was like i'm gonna just get out of here for a little while cool cool <laughs> well i uh i brought you on today because uh i saw a post that you did on facebook uh not too long ago uh that i thought was a pretty hot take about spotify and streaming uh-huh. and it actually really changed the way i had thought about um you know streaming and spotify and i thought it would be an interesting conversation to talk about okay um before we dive too deep into that though i'm just i'm very curious like what your uh career and you know life has been like for the past yeah 12 some years sure well um you know for a little while i was doing like while i was in new school i was doing the friday saturday thursday every week jazz grind yeah uh swing 46 and Mm -hmm. soul food restaurant and so on and that was fun yeah um but it definitely got to a place where it's like there, there's a certain trajectory. I, w- I wasn't going to get to be, I wasn't going to be a Kurt Rosenwinkel. I wasn't right. going to be that kind of a, like a jazz guitar player dude. Right. Um, so, and I've always had other interests, you know, I, I like computer music. I was doing that when I was 12 and, yeah. and I never stopped. So as that started to become a more popular thing, um, I got into artist development and I got into production and got into pop music. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a couple inroads into accompanying people like Seven Streeter, um, going on tour with Wyclef Jean, um, 
Alexis Jordan, Ravon Brown, and I got kind of an insight into the money-making side of pop music, uh, for better or for worse. I got to see how the PR machine worked, how the boardroom meetings worked, you know, playing in the office at Vivo, playing in the office at Yahoo, right? Mm. Um, and there was a, a couple other dribs and drabs of sort of other related things, but that was that was the main trajectory. Yeah. Went from there to having a studio. I currently work out of a studio on 29th and... Um, a recording studio? Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, the modern connotation. It's my production right. room. Yeah. Um, it's actually a production room inside of Dave Darlington's studio. Cool. Who is a pretty inspirational dude because, you know, he got his start uh, basically defining the sound of uh, disco and house um, from 90s stuff like CNC Music Factory to mm. Whitney Houston, is that whatever. Yeah. And he's you know, a bit older, and I see him in there every day, and he, you know, he gets there before me, he leaves after. Oh, that's cool. It's cool. It's like, yeah. man, I think I work too much. And yeah. He really is always working, and I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm, I must be doing something right. Yeah. Um, so that's cool, but anyway, so it's a, it's a production studio. It's a small studio with a vocal booth and a mixing area, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, which is what kind of you need now. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, I, I, w I couldn't afford to have a giant live, a live room. I wouldn't be using it all the time. Yeah. Some people can do it. I can't. Uh, so anyway, I've been doing that. Um, I have focused uh, this year on artist development, hmm. right? Um, kind of dipped my toes in and said to the most recent artist I'm working with right now, I said, look, after you leave my studio, I want to be able to shop you out. Um, if you want to take this plunge with me, we'll do the whole album and we'll go through, we'll go through the contacts and we'll do email blasts and like, I'll, I'll stay with the project and it's not going to just leave when you walk out the door. Wow. And you know, I was like, I'm totally unqualified. I'm not the person that should be doing this, but if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. And right. I want to see what happens. Yeah. Within a week we had extreme success. Wow. And I'm happy to report that and it, me. I promise that this was not planned. Uh, her single release is today. Oh, perfect. That's <laughs> I woke awesome. up this morning. I was like, holy shit, that's today. So what's, what's the name of the artist and what's the name of the single? Uh, the artist's name is Lynx. The single is called Slow Burn. Um, and it's premiered on Ear Milk this cool. morning, as of this morning. Very cool. Yeah. And it, it was like perfect timing. And so I promise this wasn't a planned PR blitz. It just <laughs> happened that way. Um, so, so anyway, the, the point is that this particular career, um, you know, it, it was very specific to the, the people that I knew and very specific opportunities. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's very much, it's, I wouldn't say that it's a career, like a stagnant career path. It is a process. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're still looking at the, uh, the bounds of what it's going to be. Yeah. Can I, uh, nitpick some questions in, in, in there? Absolutely. I, I, so, do you, first of all, are you an ex-jazzer? What is your relationship to jazz now? Yeah, I would not say an ex-jazzer. I still shed jazz. Yeah. I I've still... seen some videos of you like shedding fourths patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely... yeah, I, I definitely still, I don't necessarily do it so much in public. Yeah. I just played a jazz-related gig at Canary Club uh, with my friend Sinke, who's a great drummer. Uh, it was this guy, uh, Michael Feinberg, uh, the bass yeah. player. It was, it was his gig. Cool. Right? And he's been doing kind of a residency thing there where seemingly everyone in the city is is playing this gig. It's cool. It, it must be a, a very wide net because I ended up in it, right? Yeah, right. I was like, okay. Did you, did you know Mike before that? 
I I played with him one other time, yeah. like I think maybe two or three years prior. It was so it was a reconnection. And it was a fun reconnection. We played, I mean, we played fun stuff. Yeah. You know, huh. kind of soul jazz. That's that's kind of my bag anyway. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. As, a, as a guitar player, I think a lot of guitar players are into that. And I mean I'm one of them. In New York, there's there's it feels like there's you know, in, in like the jazz world, I mean, you know, you're right. There's a lot of them, but I, I, I wish there were more almost sometimes, you know? So I'm actually looking at maybe also dipping my toes into trying to get a soul jazz gig on my own. Cool. Um, again, and I think I almost want to say like to people who play jazz, like, oh, it's kind of a jazz gig. But to non-jazz people, I don't think I would even say that. Yeah. Um, not because of the negative connotation <laughs> right. of jazz or whatever, but just because... You can uh, cast a wider net, and and the music you're pl- you know probably the covers you do are, are people that stuff that people would know a little bit more than yeah it, well and I and I just think uh, I wouldn't even want to put myself up there into the same even conversation with somebody like a Kreisberg or mm. something like that. I'd be like, look, you know, this city is full of incredible jazz guitar players. They're doing yeah. really 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 next level stuff. Yeah, and I'm trying to do. Um, Current level, <laughs> not next level. Fair. Like whatever the level is right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I, but I do, I, I do miss, um, you know, improvising in front of people for money mm. is fun. Yes, it is. And I, yeah. I, I like to be yeah. able to try to do it on my own terms. Would be fun. What was, uh, what was touring with Wyclef like? Were you on guitar on that or? So he actually signed an artist that I worked with. Gotcha. So um, we opened for him. Cool. And he, he kind of shepherded her through this this whole thing. And it was kind of cool because not only did we get to travel with him, but like, you know, we worked a lot with him here in the city uh, and had a certain amount of, I don't want to say safety, but a certain amount of like handholding, right. which was great. You know, I, I think that we got to, I got to see what it's like just for a little while uh, to have the kind of care and attention that you got pre-2000 in the, in the old music industry, right? Yeah. Um, it, it Barely exists now in that sense, but right. when we went in there, you know, we would land places, right? And it's it sounds kind of silly, I and mean, I don't know if I should even say this, but like he would be like, "I don't like the car. Mm. Let's get a better car yeah. like, to get from the airport to the hotel." Yeah, and like it's kind of it's kind of princessish, right? But on the other hand, you know, w- w- when is somebody in twenty twenty going to get to even experience that? Yeah, so, so that's it was true. kind of fun to see because the, in 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 his defense. Um, and in the defense of most of the people who do that stuff in the old industry, it's out of extreme care for their artists. Yes. You know, they see themselves as caretakers. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's point. cool to feel like someone's taking care of you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did a, a musical out in San Diego a year or so ago, and just having my own like guitar tech who would like tune the guitar for me, it just felt so good. It felt so real, you know? Um, <laughs> I did not have a guitar tech yeah. on, on that tour. So that, that would have been nice. Would it be, imagine someone yeah. else tuning your guitar and then if it's out of tune, you can get mad at somebody. Not that I would. No. Yeah. <laughs> Broke a string in the middle of my set last night, by the way. Oh, I yikes. was just thinking about that. Yeah. You know, it would be nice to have a guitar tech. But <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So let's, let's dive into this, this, uh, this rant you went on a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I mean that in, in the best way. Sure. So. It was essentially a opinion. So, for those of you that don't know, uh, there's a there's a, a there's been a big shift in in the music industry, and it's called streaming. And uh, Spotify is the biggest company that uh, uh, is available. 
And uh, many, many musicians will go online and post about their earnings from Spotify. Spotify pays about uh, four to three thousandths of a cent per stream. And so it makes it difficult to earn money off of Spotify. So uh, many people will complain about it. Um, and I guess uh, at the end of whenever this was, 2019 maybe, uh, people were posting about their year and the end of the year Spotify earnings. And um, so what sort of set you off at that moment? Okay, well, I have a couple people that are maybe not closest of friends, but they're highly vocal online. Right. right. And they, because I guess I engage with their posts the most, just even just reading them, uh, they are overrepresented. So, I, you know, after the, the post in question, I think I went back and I was like, you know, maybe this isn't the cultural phenomenon that I thought it was. Maybe it's just like four people that I know. <laughs> but that said. Yeah, uh, I think it's fair. I mean, you definitely do. Well, go ahead. So so that that said, you know, I had a couple people that I knew who were, I mean, you think you think what I wrote was a rant. These guys, <laughs> these, these guys were legitimately, I would I would say almost like bordering on cruelty, you know, yeah. e exposing their cruelty in saying that the current young generation needs to stop posting their end of year numbers on Spotify as if it's worth something. Right. It, it was, um, that was definitely the tone and it wasn't just coming from one, any one person. And I definitely wouldn't want to call anybody out, mm -hmm. but it was this overarching thing of like, you know, how, how dare they, how yeah. dare they think that's a good thing. And it's like, okay, right. it was a it was a critique of Spotify, but also a very thinly veiled critique of being proud of using Spotify and having any kind of success yeah. as a younger person in music. Yeah. Um, so so to me, I couldn't help but to think it's like, okay, we you know, we get that you never got what you wanted, but right. you know, don't you, you can't hate how on someone else's hustle in music. Yes. And it is a hustle. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and, and, and I think most people that are really active in music definitely understand that it's a, it's still a hustle, yeah. right? There's nothing really pure about it. Right. Um, and, and, and so I have to say that, like, I didn't think it was a particularly hot take to say, like, you know, um, let people be proud of what they're proud of. Because that's really what it was. Yeah. It, it don't, you don't have to tear people down in the, in the new music industry. Right. Um, in fact, I think it's kind of important that you don't. I think I think it's a bad look. Yeah. So honestly, I I, I was thinking about it in the car on the way here. It's like, I think that was a cold take. <laughs> <laughs> well, cold take or hot take? I mean, here's what I found interesting about it. I, I think that part of your uh, post was about, you know, maybe some people who are sending some not so positive messages. And I guess to sort of analyze what they're what they're trying to say is maybe for these younger musicians who are posting about their success on Spotify, it's it's going against the movement of trying to stop Spotify, right. which there is not. I was about a to say, is is movement. is there a movement to stop Spotify? Well, th that's something could, that could I've been be? thinking about. <laughs> could there be? I mean, that's a good you know, like so. For myself, I had stopped using Spotify for about a year. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening to me is just my consumption of music went down. I didn't actually yeah. start buying more things. And it's like, well, if Spotify is like $10 a month and it's $100 a year, I should have $100 that I can spend on, you know, stuff. But I didn't spend it. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm someone who's a musician who, you know, should be. So do, it's like. I see some vinyl over there. Do you buy vinyl? I don't. I don't. Okay. I, you know, because I live in New York. You know, I have a small apartment. I can't, yeah. you know, I wish that I yeah. did. I mean, I might at some point, but I, I haven't taken that step yet. Oh, you're, um, you're lucky. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe. What, what, once you do, there's like no going back. Yeah, you know, sure. Like, oh, well, there goes the rest of my life. So, <laughs> um, so I, I think that we are at a moment in time where all, all these things are sort of happening at once, but um, I think consumers have more power to influence companies that they've ever had before because of social media. And I think you see a lot of examples of that with climate change and people mm -hmm. like uh, saying we're not going to use these companies because of this and that. And then those companies actually changing their policy a little bit, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and in other areas as well. And it just seems like, I don't know if there's ever going to be, even though most people seem to understand, there's lots of media that comes out about how Spotify is, is making it harder for artists to make a living. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's going to be a concerted effort ever to correct this you know i, I mm -hmm. don't know if it, we're going to be able to make enough noise about it um Wait, what what would a correction look like for you well that's a i i did some research and sort of like some other models that exist um for how um you know the funds could be distributed mm -hmm. um and uh, i mean like one basic way is you know the could just pay higher royalties, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That that's a basic thing. I mean, some of the other models that exist, you know, in other apps. Um, there's a app that's called Resonate, um, and they have a stream to own model. Um, when you re-listen to a track, every time you re-listen to a track, the artist gets slightly more um, money for it. And once you listen to that track nine times, then you own the album, right? Mm -hmm. So there are m models like that. Bandcamp is another model in which. Artists can directly upload their music, and there's a little bit more community interaction there. Like people will write about music that's online, um, and the artists set their own price for their work. So lots of times, artists will throw out their album for ten dollars. You have to actually pay that. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard articles talk about Bandcamp as it's a little bit more like uh, an independent record store where people come and hang out and they pay f for the art compared to Spotify, which is a little right. bit more like Best Buy. Um, there's the user-centric model where listeners, um, which would something that Spotify could apply, where um, what you listen to directly, um, Spotify directs the funds a little bit more to mm -hmm. that artist. So that would make, instead of streaming, be four thousandths of a cent per stream, it'd be kind of a variable system. I don't know if any of these things are really going to make that much of a difference. I, I, I do like question like if it makes sense when you look at other media like Netflix, they don't have every fucking movie ever made on their service. You know, like right. you pay $10 a month, you have what's available right now. Does it really make sense for Spotify to give away everything that's ever been created for $10 a month? I mean, there are like adjustments like that that could be made. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously we're never going to go back to buying CD by CD. You know, I think that's not, the case mm -hmm. but the other thing that um comes into play with this with these big tech tech companies is that none of them actually make money right you know so if spotify um makes something like five billion dollars a year in sales 
and the overall sales of uh, music have increased in the sort of streaming era, which is a, a good thing. Um, but every year they lose like millions to maybe even billions of dollars, you know, because it's something like Uber does the same thing. Lots of companies do. They're just trying to take over the entire market. Right. And then maybe at some point they turn profitable. So is Spotify this really... wasn't profitable for a long time. They still aren't. I believe that they actually are now. Are they? Are, I, I believe so. If, if they are, it would if have so, to be it's like... It's by like $5, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and then I've been, I was watching a lot of videos about, you know, Spotify and watching these big like tech, uh, you know, entrepreneurs make the case for why their service should exist. Uh -huh. And one of the main arguments is that like, uh, you know, if if there wasn't these streaming services that made it so convenient for people that pirating would be like, you know, back again. And although that's probably true, it really seems like a like a late stage capitalist, you know, mm -hmm. explanation. Like if you if we don't if you don't give all the money to us and we give a tiny bit to the artist, then nobody gets any money, you know? Like Yeah, I mean <laughs> it, the bottom line with the music industry has always been the money actually has to come from somewhere. Yeah. It's kind of insane that there was a huge recording business, right? Like when yeah. you look at it, it didn't just arise overnight. Yeah. It came out of what I would call the initial exploitation of like record companies at the very, very beginning, going around mining local areas, uh, convincing people to sign away their rights, and then making recordings that were separate from songs, putting them in jukeboxes, doing whatever they had to do. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it comes from a centrally exploitative model. Yeah. Uh, a couple of people got really rich doing that. Uh, and eventually it got to the point where there was so much money going around that a couple people on top, even, you know, maybe a comparably larger percentage of musicians than make it now right. uh, as far as, you know, top income and recordings. But still, it's not like everybody was walking around making, you know, megabucks rock stars. There were still rock stars. Yeah. But those rock stars, their proportion was so high. Um, I think that that's sort of like a strange fluke it, you know it, it's hmm. sort of unprecedented it, it doesn't i don't think that there maybe will ever be a rock star uh, uh, uh of the tech era like something's something in the medium is going to have to change mm. i don't see how we could have rock stars when the final delivery product is the same 16-bit 44.1 red book audio uh, delivery mechanism, right. right? It's like we. This is a solved problem. We have figured out how to hyper efficiently deliver recordings to people at a price that they like. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is that most people did not like having to spend eighteen ninety nine on a CD, right? Yeah, and that that's sure. the, that was the price during the Tower Records era. You know, nineties heyday of the CD. Yeah. You know, the single greatest drop in music revenues. Uh, uh, that's overall music industry revenue was between 2000 and 2001. Yeah, when Napster when came Napster out. When Napster came out. Yeah. I, I, I was caught up in it. You of probably course. were yeah, too. You're yeah. like, what do you mean? I don't have to Free. spend <laughs> money anymore? All right, let's go. Yeah. And, and that's the bottom line. I mean, you're not dealing with, you know, socially conscious consumers when it comes to music. It's done alone. It's not usually done publicly. So, right. you know, given that opportunity, pe people are going to pay as little as they can. Yeah. Um, and, that's you know, that unfortunately, um, being a musician... You, you, you don't choose the economy that you're in. You don't, you, there are a lot of things that we don't choose, right? 
and deciding that you're going to work within the contours of what we have and try to make it work for you is not um, a terrible choice. It's, it shouldn't be controversial to me. Yeah. No, I, that makes sense. Um, maybe you can go into a little bit how um, you know successful musicians use Spotify well, which I also thought was, was interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I... Okay, so first of all, as I mentioned before, when it comes to artist development, I am kind of unqualified, right? <laughs> I, I'm a music producer, and I have gotten to see a couple successful things happen. But, yeah. I, you know, please, I'm not the be-all, end-all of this conversation. That said, I've been lucky enough to be part of, of campaigns. Yeah. Um, and maybe, if not to see how artists use streaming, but to see how um, management uses streaming. Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's kind of important. You know, artists... I think are for the most part, um, I don't want to say unaware, but maybe, maybe, maybe that is what I'm going to say. Maybe artists are unaware of just how calculated it's always been. Mm. So now that they have access under the hood and they can look at the numbers and they could go, Oh man, that's crazy. You know, I wanted to sign a record deal and they said, how many numbers do you have in Spotify? And I said, not that many. And they didn't sign me. They think that that's unusual, mm. right? Because they think that there was a time where you could walk into a boardroom and, you know, uh, captivate the audience and then get your deal, right? They think that they weren't also looking at numbers. Whereas, you know, the whole thing back then, you got your numbers by opening for terrible people all over the Midwest, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, you had, to, yeah. you had to be in a hatchback and, like, you know, not break even at the end of a, of a tour and split your gas money. Right. And now that's a quantifiable thing that you do on computers. You send enough emails and, and you get to see it. But I, I see them as roughly analogous uh, processes. Um, that said, the way people are using Spotify now, I think, and not even just Spotify. I'm like the 1% people that use Tidal. Do you use Tidal? Someone, someone still uses it. You know, I mean, you know, from an engineering perspective, or? it sounds yeah. better. Yeah. And e even when, um, you know, they be, because they put time into the transcoding or whatever, I don't, I don't think that... It's not like a lossless versus not lossless argument. I think sometimes they're just working from superior source material, mm. right? Because I am probably one of those people that would say, no, you can always hear it. And then you could A, B, test and I would get it wrong probably. <laughs> but I do, I do think that the attention given is, is higher. Anyway, that said, one thing that PR companies do for artists is that they focus on playlisting. And I'm talking about you, yeah. your, your modern boutique PR company with a good track record right now. Mm -hmm. Um... They've got built-in relationships. They have pipelines to good playlists. And to me, you just don't, there's no path to music success uh, without being on the right playlist at the right time. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, does it make sense for Spotify to have the entire history of recorded music? And first of all, no. And second of all, because it does, there is no charm in looking for something on Spotify. Mm, yes, that's true. Um, you know, rifling through stacks of vinyl is fun for people that don't even like music. Yeah, that's right? true. That's but there's true. nothing, it, it's it's like spot, browsing Spotify is like looking at Excel, right? It's mm -hmm. just, it's boring. Everything, it's crazy. You'll have like, you know, Nefertiti, right? And then right next to that, you'll have like the Korean karaoke version Right, yeah. <laughs> right underneath of it, right. Yeah. And they'll be like, "How are there karaoke versions of jazz songs?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's awful. I right? had that experience too when I would be like uh, looking at trying to learn a jazz standard, and I'd you know 
search a, a tune and, uh, you know, the list would come up and, uh, you know, some of the versions would just be awful. You know, they'd be these really corny ass, you know, versions. And you're seeing that they're given like roughly the same weight. Yeah. The same gravity on Spotify. And that, that to me is like one of the gravest problems with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that, you know, some of these records deserve to be like elevated so high that when you type in jazz, that's the first thing that comes out. Or yeah. when you type in trap or whatever it is, we don't need, we don't need all the karaoke versions. We definitely need some kind of acknowledgement that, you know, this is the sort of uh, standard bearer. Anyway, uh, playlisting and discovery in general is, it's sort of the stopgap. It's the thing that's supposed to fix that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a filter. And that's the only way, it's the only path to success right now is, getting uh, in the right filter. Right. Um, Spotify's recommendations, personally for me, are usually not that good. Yeah. Titles are a little bit better. Um, and I think uh, the very, st- still the very best thing that you can do uh, is to have your music in a place that you have previously heard about music that you like, mm-hmm. right? And so for that reason, even though we're definitely like 10 or 12 years after the blog, they're really, they're still our music blogs, yep. right? Yeah, and, they are. And people still consider them slightly authoritative, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you get to this place where streamers are really more like repositories than they are like places that you actively hang out, right? Right. And that's, that's fine. That's really okay. You know, it's not like they don't do anything. Right. Like they do pay for server upkeep. They make it they create a product that yeah. makes it so that you can be anywhere in the world and you can click on something in a place. Yeah. I have a cloud drive. My cloud drive can't do that. Right. So they're, sure. they're, it's not like they don't do anything. Yeah. Right. It's not like, you know, they, they make billions of dollars and literally nothing is returned back to the music community. Right. Um, I do think they could pay a bit more per stream. On the other hand, uh, they if you look at the actual proportion of money paid out to rights holders, for me personally, it becomes very clear that while they are an antagonist, <laughs> they're not the enemy. Right. Um, the Byzantine structure of rights absolutely is. Yes, that was something else I had meant to talk about. Yeah, because we're we're building all these, you know, like the the. I don't know a whole lot about the legal aspect of it, but I, I, from my understanding, Dude, neither do I. I'm yeah, trying. Nobody does, <laughs> right? That's the that's the point of the laws to in in some or the point of lawyers to sort of obscure the language with very complex, you yeah. know, like subtext and paragraphs and all this stuff to make it complicated so that we can't understand it, so we can't really like you know. Well, they don't want us. They don't want you to see how exploitative it is. I'm yeah. telling you. I mean, you know, you don't start by like going out into the sticks and saying, "Sing into this can and then disappear." Right? <laughs> That's what they said in "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" Right. I always think of like that is totally how the record industry started. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's very clear from how it works now. You still feel a little bit when you're signing contracts. You still feel a little bit like, "Yes, I will sing into your can." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the rules make no sense. The fact that you know, when a when a song is played on the radio, you get a hundred percent of the songwriting royalties, and when it's streamed, you get something like twenty percent. You know? Yeah, just not taking into account, and and they'll never like. Well, that's law stuff. I'm not going to get right. into that. Right. Um. So. So if streaming. The way that you described it in in your 
the thing that you had written. Um, I mean, I, it just sort of gives credence to the idea that the the recording is no longer the the end product, the end uh, revenue stream. It's yeah. it's a it's it it's becomes part of your sort of virtual business card to get other yeah. work. So, what is the uh, end revenue stream? Is there an end revenue stream, or is it just no. about influence? Well, let's figure this out right now, yeah, and then fair, we can right, tell fair everybody. Enough. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, so but what insight do you have about that? Yeah. Well. Okay, so one of the huge people are now becoming aware that what it, what they create inside of the mechanism is the most important thing. The mechanism being like the the end delivery mechanism, right? So the underlying, let's say you're a music producer. A lot of music is produced now. It's yeah. electronic. It's like a couple people, a collective of people that decide to coalesce around a producer, and they kind of make a recording so that the song is more than just a chord progression with a melody. Right. It's a production. It's a whole thing, right? Yeah. So people are becoming aware that that, that that production itself constitutes something that is somehow separate from a recording and separate from a song. It's, a, it's sort of a new thing. Mm. Um, and the, the, the reason I put it that way is that if we call it something different, we create a possibility for many, many more people to be fairly compensated when it comes to licensing, when it comes to synchronization, which, you know, they only grow. It used to be the recording itself was how you made money from consumers. Now there's a middleman, and the middleman is whoever's licensing your music, right? right. That's, now that, that's one potential stream. Mm -hmm. It is a giant growing stream, um, and there, there's only going to be more people that need synchronization and need licensing. And the, the current issue with licensing is that it, it definitely works with an older model. So you're looking at getting like, you know, 7, 12% on something because there's an assumption that, you know, some songwriter is the most important person, in a, you right. know? Yeah. But the, what a song is, is definitely different in a time where. A song is, you know, three people in a basement who took uh, a royalty-free loop and put their spin on it mm. and then released it. Yeah. And, and that's a totally... By the way, I mean, there's a lot of precedent for that kind of music making. Mm -hmm. I, I would say Bebop is almost that. Mm. Right? Tell me about that. Like... Because they did uh, contrafactions on other songs? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, the, the whole point of it is to take extremely well-known, almost public domain harmonic uh, ideas, right? right? And then, you know, flip it as hard as you can yeah, uh, to, show, to show how cool you are. Yeah. But wh where would it have been, you know, without rhythm changes, right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, you know, that Gershwin tune that everybody knows, <laughs> right? Yeah, wow. Uh, how about we play that? I don't know, it's 2020 and people are still fucking playing it, right? Yep, that's true. <laughs> that's true, 100 years. And, 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 and importantly, they're, they're literally all playing over the same changes, right? Yeah. So I, I always think it's funny when people want to say, because it's, you know, it's people in our community, virtuosic oh, yes. level players, yeah. who are like, man, these guys are on Logic, like sitting around just using these prefabricated beats. It's like, bro, have you heard your record? <laughs> it could be any one of the millions of jazz records. No offense to it. It's amazing. Yeah. But the reason it's good is because we're watching, I'm sorry, because we're listening to you uh, explore your personality over a bed of universally understood 
sort of references in your genre. Right, yeah. And, and that's how music works now. It's just it's become much easier to reference things in your genre because you can outright copy, right? right? Um, so that said, you know, what what is music in a time of outright copying when so much of it is digital, it's, it's samples? We, we definitely do need a new way of describing what songwriting is. It needs to be mixed with... Um, it mm. needs to be mixed with production. And so what, what that means is it opens up, this doesn't close any doors. It only right. opens doors. It opens doors for people that are combinations of songwriters and music producers and singers and engineers and whatever yeah. to carve out contracts for themselves where they're getting not 12% on a sync, but like 50%. Yeah. Right? And, and certainly the future of the music business is going to be smaller, more basic, more easily to, uh, easy to understand contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and importantly, you know, we said before, Spotify, I think it's around 75% of the overall revenue ends up being paid out to rights holders. Right. Um, and a lot of people don't know. When you get that statement and you look how many rights holders there are, uh, especially yeah. if you're signed to a major label, well, there's too many. Yeah. Right, you're paying for overhead, yeah, um, which is harder and harder to justify. Yeah, uh, in a time where you can do a lot of it yourself. You know, I'm not. I, I actually don't advocate that you necessarily do everything yourself, but you, you should sure, have like yeah. one or two middlemen, not fifty. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. That's a good point. Um, and, and and so that is sort of a path to success for certain people, and some people have already done it. Yeah. You know, some people have kept their teams small, used streaming as a sort of springboard. And then importantly, like done other stuff, yeah. right? They, they, they weren't like a lot of musicians, especially, you know, sort of bedroom musicians, or I hate to say this, but, you know, also people that just do a bunch of gigs, right? They're, what they actually do from day to day is mostly, you know, they, they shed at home. Yeah. That, that is their function in the music industry is that they are home shedders. Yeah. And they put one thing out and they think, well... You know, do people not think this is a compelling story? And it's like, no, because you don't do anything. <laughs> There's How do you the, the, mean? like it, shedding at home is is very boring, hmm. right? <laughs> I, I briefly interned at a music blog, yeah. and I remember they said, you know, an album release is uh, it's the, it's the cliche about journalism is uh, dog bites man, and dog the only man. thing they're really interested in is man bites dog. That's news, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> right? That's funny. Yeah, that yeah. it's like a like a super corny tri- yeah. journalism cliche, but it's very true for music. I mean, music news is so boring if, it, if yes. it's just release dates and this and that, whatever. That's true. Whereas uh, I met someone on TikTok and I'm a gay cowboy, right? <laughs> That's extraordinarily interesting. Yeah, sure. And if you're gonna be in pop music, you have to reconcile yourself with the fact that um, it's never going to just be about the sound. It literally never has only been about the sound. True. It's always been about a narrative and people wishing to align themselves with that narrative. Yeah. Um, jazz is absolutely, you know, I, and I keep bringing that up because, you know, we both went right, to jazz school yeah. and whatever. Um, it, it is definitely, it's got its feet in both places, right? Because there's always going to be a contingent of people who really hold out for this idea that there's some kind of purity mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. We, we, and, and I think that I'm really sympathetic to that argument. You yes. know, I like the conservatory approach. I like the idea that you could, we could enter, you know, a thousand year dark ages and someone would be keeping this incredible thing going regardless of whether it makes any money and regardless of whether yeah. anybody cares. I actually really like that. Yeah. Um, but what I really don't like is when you tell everybody I'm devoting myself to this conservatory approach and you're, also extraordinarily angry with other people mm. for not caring. Right. <laughs> it's like, look, you're not you're not giving them any of what they want. You can't you can't you can't 
<laughs> you, you can't be mad at them for that. Right. You're saying I, I'm above narrative. I'm above being, you know, on the vanguard of what people like right now. It's like, well, fine. Then then be above it. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't be mad fair. when other people want to eat pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, like, okay, so the jazz lifestyle, it's it it's analogous to sort of like being a monk. You know, like there's so Absolutely. much self meditation with your instrument, and then. But, you know, part of the conservatory system is, you know, our, our mission is to not only do this music, but to also try to keep it in the public uh, sphere, you know, like, or the mm -hmm. public uh, collective unconscious, you know, like, if we're not somehow um, keeping this music alive in, in audiences, then the whole conservatory system will probably, you know, or the whole preserving of older musics is what I mean by conservatory system, whether mm -hmm. you're a classical musician or a jazz musician, it, it, it will eventually crumble. Um, maybe, maybe as it stands right now, right? Yeah. Because as of right now, conservatories and arts institutions and everybody, uh, they need to make giant waves because they need giant donors to keep them alive. Right. Right. Um, there's probably... You know, certainly I'm not an expert on this, but does that does it have to stay that way? I don't know. Does, I mean, you know, wouldn't a really proper conservatory be a commune that doesn't need money somewhere in the desert? <laughs> that does sound fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, my brother is a mathematician, and he always tells me that what he would really like to do is start a math commune somewhere. Ooh. Right, where he and his other mathematicians can go out and grow their own food and not be beholden to an academic institution. Because wow. in their own way, they're actually beholden to some of the same uh, effects that right. we are sure. as musicians. And particularly, I mean, he's an applied mathematician, which means it, it's sort of pure math, right? Math for the sake of math. Right. It's not necessarily attached to, you know, some cool tech idea. Or that does set. sound pretty cool, though. Does, a math commune, it sounds good, right? Well, like uh, being a pure mathematician or, or pure math. It, he, he's a cool dude. Math for math's sake. But, but we talk a lot about that idea that like, you know, maybe money is, uh, is sort of coloring our idea of exactly what needs to stick around as far as, you know, for, forget conservatories. Some of the older established places that you see music now, um, are absolutely like they, they they're propped up they're totally subsidized yes, which true. means that they are politicized that's true um and uh, the lincoln center is now named david coke hall you know you know the <laughs> uh and, and do you think that you can do an effective like you know meaningful subversive political work in a place like that <laughs> well time I will mean, tell <laughs> yeah i think that they they you know they do, but uh, is anyone listening? You know, I, well, I'm playing at Lincoln Center in <laughs> May, so everybody, I hope we'll that you do come. Cool. <laughs> Wait, what's what's going on there then? Uh, it's with Soundtrack Sixty Three, mm -hmm. which is sort of a long running uh, exploration through uh, Black music history. Cool. Wow. And obviously, I am the obvious person to be doing that. <laughs> um, but I, I think I'm, I'm subbing for somebody. Um, yeah. I'm excited about it. It's gonna be that awesome. Sounds, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Well, um, just while we're while we're here, I mean, you seem like someone who's, who's very thoughtful about this type of thing. Um, speaking of art and Spotify, do you personally believe that art needs to have sort of a 
commerce tied to it for it to um, be relevant or in you know tied to the moment that it come from? Definitely not. Okay. Um, but that said, I just don't think that you get to have the complaint uh, that you, you, you only follow your dream. You only follow your uh, personal idea of what you want to do. And then simultaneously harbor resentment for the entire world that doesn't want to pay you for it. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, you just don't get both. Yeah. Um, if, if what you're doing is worth money, people will let you know. And if what you're doing is worth praise, they'll praise and not pay. And that's fine. Right. Um, if people don't know how to engage with it, but they respect you. Um, obviously, in the classical world, for decades, uh, decades, for centuries, you yeah. know, they've dealt with that. There are plenty of unknown composers. There mm. are plenty, you know, this is a cliche, right? That, yeah. that people become known after death. Yeah. Um, it, it is absolutely a mix of luck and being in the right place at the right time and this and that whatever that makes you money in music in the first place uh and, and not that that shouldn't be fixed but the resentment and cruelty that we uh give people who happen to succeed it starts to look really ugly yeah and and i think that you know if, if i could leave with anything it would be that it'd be like we don't need any more ugliness we don't need any more resentment yeah. we don't need to stoke that kind of tension. There are plenty of people who benefit when we don't like each other as musicians. For we sure. don't need to give them ammunition. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fair. Uh, sort of a final thought on on the subject. Do you think that um, this sort of model that we're in now with streaming and um, the public's consumption of music is? You know, now and forever. Is it? Is it? Will we ever return to a moment where artists are able to make you know crazy sums of money based on their uh, music, or is it, it? You know, and I'm asking you to be Nostradamus here, but I'm just curious yeah. what, what your thoughts are. Um, something's definitely going to happen. Um, I've got a, f a couple friends that are doing pretty amazing things, carving out niches for themselves, uh, doing. Uh, unprecedented uh, mixes of like podcast and music and this and that whatever and making money on Patreon, right? Right. Um, there's always going to be opportunity for people to make large sums of money doing something new. Fair. Um, yeah. So, uh, is it is something very old going to come back? Right. Like you know, playing music that people have heard before in a venue that people have been before selling things in a medium that people have already done like that. I don't know. I, I don't think that will come back, Yeah. but I hope that we don't close ourselves off from, you know, what's around the corner. Uh, we're in a time where we can be way more protective of our own rights. We can be, we're more empowered. You know, we've got access to more information than ever about how to represent yourself in a business capacity. And there's no reason to think that smart savvy young musicians can't take advantage of those things. Yeah. Um, especially if they're able to ignore the people that kind of want to kick the ladder, kick the rungs out of the ladder. Right. You know? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, my guest is Justin Matthews. All right. I know you have a, a, a new uh, single that was just released today. Is there any other upcoming stuff you'd like to uh, let people know about? Actually, just this artist. I'm... So, so excited about it. The single's coming out now. I think the next single is in a couple months, and then there's, there's a full album. 
Um, oh, cool. So you, that you are releasing it single by single. Yes. And that's the way to do it these days, you think? That seems to be the way to do it. Mm. And in fact, we, we kind of went back and forth a little while ago, going like, it, it, is there going to be an album at all? And, you know, eventually <laughs> we're like, well, look, it, it was made as an album. It's yeah. cohesive. Like, so yeah. But it does seem to be to stagger singles is the, is the way. Cool. All right. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>